What do you do when the whole country knows you for one thing? But to actually grow in the audiences and show up on social in a meaningful way, you have to change what that thing is. Specsavers is known for its tagline, should have gone to Specsavers. And we're used to seeing it crop up on TV, out of home and on social in a comedic context. But today's guest, Lisa Hale, who's head of consumer PR, brand activation and social at Specsavers, says their 2023 vision has been getting attention on the more meaningful reasons people should choose Specsavers. In this, we cover how editorial content makes attention stretchy, why three-second video view rates can't measure social success, and what happened when Specsavers sponsored the worst football team in Britain. Well, Lisa, welcome to Social Minds, and thanks for joining us. Super excited to have you here today. It's great to be here. Thank you for um, inviting me on. So I know when we spoke last time, you said that you were, you guys were looking at evolving the Specsavers proposition, right, and evaluating what that means today, you know, with your your new goals and objectives and who you want to reach. Um, and part of that, you said, was going to be, um, should have gone to Specsavers, right, which is so, like, well-loved and well-known. I know I'm a, personally a really big fan of it. I think it's a brilliant line. But yeah, I know you guys are looking to sort of evolve that or at least evolve what it means to you. So my first question, I guess, is why the need to change? I wouldn't say we're going to change. I think just four years ago, actually, just before the pandemic, you know, should have gone to Specsavers became famous for, you know, the brilliant TV ads. But we never really took should have gone to Specsavers onto social media. So that's what we what we really did sort of in earnest. It was one of my first jobs coming in to Specsavers when, you know, there was absolutely no social team in place was um, to, to translate what should have gone to Specsavers is on TV into social and I think we, we did, we've done that really well. And we've done that now consistently for about four years. Um, what we don't want to do is Lou should have gone to Specsavers. But what we are aware of is that, um, especially for younger audiences coming in, you know, a gag is never enough. It's that what is the reason that people should have come to Specsavers? You know, why? What is the, what is the why behind that? So we've, we've, we've done the first job, which is translate it into social and make it more relatable than just TV ads. Um, and now we've done that. How do we evolve that and actually explain why people should have come to Specsavers? So that's that's the direction that we're heading in. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I was going to say my second question is how? Yeah. How how do you, how are you guys evolving such a, a sort of cemented and well-known brand proposition and making sure that moves, you know, with the channels and with the times? We've got a great team in-house at Specsavers and we the, t- the two teams together are really good at sort of keeping the finger on the pulse of culture and what's relatable. I don't think we're ever going to lose that. I don't think we should lose that. And we can have a lot of fun with that and still talk to younger audiences. But it's just being aware that that's not enough. So I guess we're going to go a little bit deeper into the why and start surfacing, you know, all these great secrets about Specsavers that people don't even realize and looking at what we're doing across the business from our industry PR team to parliamentary affairs, looking at how we're changing policy access to eye health, for example, um, at the moment, unless you have a fixed address, you, you don't have access to eye health. And so we're looking at ways that we can change that, working with government as well. And it's about actually telling that story in a really nice, relatable way that's easy to understand. So um, these are things that we've we've never done before at Specsavers. Um, we've, we've never worked as collaboratively as that and told that story um, of, of the other side of things that we do when it comes to policy change. Yeah. So you, you're coming up with more answers, aren't you, for that, you know, why you should go to Specsavers and what trying to educate people about uh, more that's going on behind the scenes? Yeah. I mean, it's just that, you know, I think businesses have to, brands have to work harder nowadays 
And, and we're not talking about, you know, the, you know, post pandemic, everyone was doing the same kind of ads of purpose and why we're here. But I think brands really have to question like, what is their role in society? And um, we're doing that at the moment. And, you know, we have a huge role that we don't ever talk about. And it's just about bringing that to life. And yeah, and it's, it's being creative in how we bring that to life as well, because, you know, three second ads aren't going to cut it. They're not going to tell that story. No, definitely. I think it's a good point and it's a, a definitely a goal worth having, um, you know, aside from the staples of like, you know, we've got to push more products and stand out in the category. But with those things also mattering, what do you think the business goal is for you guys this year? Core challenge, specifically that you want social to help you achieve. I know like TV and out of home and PR might all have their own jobs, but when it comes to social, do you find it's most helpful for you guys to change perceptions or differentiate from newcomers like Ace and Tay? or you know attract new customers how is that social activity helping you meet these goals so you know social is a we could look at it from the full funnel and my area of focus is very much the awareness and consideration space so with that i mean most people most people know spec savers we're seeing a little bit drop off of a bit small bit of salience of younger audiences coming in and that's something that we're also addressing but awareness is never a really difficult job for us for for us it's about um you know thinking about who is rejecting us and why um so we've done a bit of profiling around the types of people that are rejecting us and, and what's of interest to them and using that consideration space that actually social media is notoriously bad for because you know there's a currently a, a perception that um social media isn't very good at holding attention but we know it is um, we've done some studies on that recently. Um, attention can be stretched if you approach it from the right direction. So we're seeing sort of average view times of up to around, you know, 17 seconds on our social content. So social for us is going to be um, mainly about changing um, perceptions of people who are rejecting us. So who is rejecting you and why? Well, I mean, uh, I always say rejecting. It's, um, it, it's, it's people who necessarily wouldn't think of us as the first port of call. I think a lot of people consider us to be sort of this big green giant and a big glasses supermarket. And actually all our stores are, um, uh, you know, the, the, it's a joint venture partnership. All our stores are locally owned and run. Um, so it's about getting that message out to people, but also surfacing the fact that, you know, our expertise and our eye health equipment is the best on the market. So it's about, yeah, bringing those stories to life and targeting, if you're asking specifically that the, the groups at the minute are probably more health actives, what we call health actives, or people who have other priorities who are just super busy, um, big families, they're sort of, you know, the, the leaders in the family making the decisions. Um, so those are the sort of the two priority audiences at the minute. And then we've got younger audiences coming in who weren't brought up in, in our amazing era, should have gone to Specsavers TV ads. So it's how do we stay relatable to that age group as well? No, definitely. I have an interesting question that my co-host, Kel, actually wrote down, but I'm going to ask it early because I think it applies here. When you guys are thinking about the different groups of people that you're trying to engage more, who might like typically be shopping elsewhere or, or not seeing Specsavers for its good qualities, younger audiences comes up for a lot of brands, right? But for an eyewear brand, why is, is Gen Z and a younger audience such a key focus because arguably the older you are the more likely you are to need glasses so what's the end game for an eyewear brand aiming younger well if you're thinking bottom funnel only in conversion then yeah go for your older press audience but 
if you're thinking brand and you're thinking long term, you know, to take to build a brand takes years, decades potentially. So these are our future customers. So why would we why would we not start start talking to them now? And I think historically, Specsavers marketing has probably apart like I said, apart from the the, the TV ads which, which talked to everybody and spoke to everyone, um, a lot of its marketing was focused very much on converting people in market. And that could be, I'm not saying that is why, but that could be a reason why we're seeing a younger drop off now. No, definitely. And hey, listen, this is why I said I was such a fan of the should should have gone to Specsavers line because it's so memorable and it's so catchy. It's such a like a universal line that even if you don't need glasses, you know it from watching it on the telly and you get to like, I don't know, how old was I when I needed Specs? Like only about like 24, 25. But that's ringing through your head as soon as you realize that you can't see the number on the front of the bus. You think, oh, I should go to Specsavers probably and get like an eye test or see what's going on. Like it, it definitely works. No, it's so good. It's literally like the holy grail of marketing when, you know, your line starts to become part of like cultural vernacular, you know, it's um, it's like the dream. And we had a very clever, you know, marketing team that that line was born in our in-house agency in Guernsey. And uh, it was like a dream brief then when, you know, the challenge was how do we translate that from TV into social media? Like as a social media PR person, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> There's so much we can do with this, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a tough one in that sense. That's exciting. I um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Have you? Uh, how far along in in that journey are you? Would you say we're four years in? Um, but bear in mind we had to take a bit of a backseat during the pandemic. Uh, Dominic Cummings did us some huge favors in that space. Oh my um, god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't really have to do much actually. And then um, it was actually really funny. There was uh, at the same time I think Barnard Castle car park was printing tickets that had should have gone spec savers on the back of the car park tickets and everyone thought we did that on purpose and I'm just going to announce that that was a total fluke but absolutely brilliant and that's just what you know oh my god honestly it was brilliant that's where you can just you can just sit back and watch the marketing just run so anyway my point was during the pandemic we had to take a back seat so we we kicked off and before the you know the pandemic with some really nice reactive activity just to sort of prove out to the business because we had to take it slow. I don't think you could just come in and go hell for leather. You know, we had to sort of start demonstrating where this could go, how you can do it. So we started with, um, I think it was The Ashes was one of the first campaigns. We weren't even, I don't think, official sponsors at the time, but we ended up getting like national headlines from the whole Jack Leach tweet uh, saying we'd give him free glasses for life. And it went, you know, it went mental and it was just bigger than... Um, than when we actually paid for sponsorship of the Ashes and we increased the word of mouth of Specsavers by three, according to YouGov. So it was a really good way of proving the potential. So from that, we started to get more and more buy-in. Then we had to put the brakes on just to go quiet during the pandemic. I mean, it wasn't a time to be making jokes, but we ramped it back up again recently and we've taken it into, into new spaces now. So it's, I guess we don't even need to really say it anymore. We can imply it in some of the campaigns that we run. So for example, we did a campaign where we were looking for the UK's worst sort of Sunday league football club and looking at how we can sponsor them. Um, it was called Best Worst Team. And it was just sort of an implied way of bringing Should Have Gone Specsavers to life. Mm, um, yeah. Was that the one with the training from uh, Jimmy Bullard? Yeah, so we wrote Jimmy Bullard in, we got them new kits, we got them a new website, um, new, new, new nutrition advice, um, and just tried to flip them from the worst team into the best team. And from an investment perspective, it was still quite low level. And again, it was just another example of proving to the business that, you know, it's not always, it doesn't always have to be about TV ads. You can, you can talk about the proposition in an earned way 
and through creative campaigns like Best Worst Team. And I think initially there was a bit of nervousness around it, but then it, you know, organically, we just did it incredibly well with the results. And um, we're looking at uh, taking that to a new level this year, which is really exciting. Yeah, it is. I think it's a good one to stretch as well, because am I right in thinking it's a series at the moment? It was a series last season, so that's that's concluded. And we are currently looking at season two, but taking it to the next level. So yeah, it's exciting. No, I like that. Well, did the, did the team improve? That's the first thing I want to know. <laughs> did they get better? Yes, they. I think they won their first game and I don't think they came bottom of the league. So yes, is the answer. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing quite a lot of things in sports. And I think it must be quite an easy fit for that kind of like category when you're trying to speak to audiences in different like categories and cultures being able to tie in anything in which having good eyesight makes sure like life easier your performance better yeah it's a it's a really good fit I think and I think with a campaign like that it's a really clear view of this new vision as you said and how uh, how that can work for more social first concepts but I want to I want to talk a bit about um reactive social because I know we've we've spoken about this before and we know that Specsavers I think do some of the best reactive gags and I like them because they don't just stay on social you see them like pop up out of home and that tone of voice is just consistent across the board which I and I'm biased but I always think is absolutely crucial so yeah with with the euros for example I know you said that your social reactives became that sort of testing bed for the out of home billboard that you did so can you tell us a bit more about how you can and how people should or brands should gauge that response on social before upping the spend and shifting mediums and putting it somewhere else like tv or out of home i think when you start to do it for a while you can sort of predict where the where the successes are going to come so at the beginning of each year we sort of pinpoint where we think is going to work and then it's about, you know, ring fencing that media spend and teeing up the right teams to say, if this takes off, um, then we, we'd look to take it into out of home. And then, you know, you don't want to put bad money behind something that's not working. So you have to see how it performs. And I think, again, we're in that test space with this. We've not done it a number of times. We're still quite new doing that. So like, I think the Euros is one of the first ones where we did take it into out of home. And then we did it again um, for the World Cup recently, but only in a few sites. So it's um it's just working really closely with our media agency, sort of working with them to pinpoint throughout the year the points where it could really sort of take off. Then yeah, monitoring the reaction on social and then know, knowing when to when to go big with it. I think it's like it's down to a lot of that, like your internal team's buy-in as well, isn't yeah, it? But absolutely. I find it interesting because you're talking about taking a proposition like Specsavers, which started on TV and translating that for social. Uh, but we've talked about it on this pod before. And a, a case that I always bring up is um, KFC's We're Back advert that came from the Rate My Play activation they did over lockdown. It was really simple, like Twitter UGC based thing where they asked people to send in pictures of the KFC they've been trying to make at home while restaurants were closed because of the pandemic and they were just inundated with lots of like absolutely terrible chicken dishes and then what the what the team did is they took all that UGC and people's crap KFC turned it into a really emotional like TV ad and it was like bad chicken bad chicken bad chicken and then it was like don't worry we're back and the doors opened and I just thought it was a brilliant example that I've probably our listeners are sick to the back teeth of me bringing this up because I've mentioned it about three times now it's so good um, though but yeah, a great example of like a social first idea, proposition, execution, making it onto these out of home channels when I think we're like, we're so used to working the other way. But yeah, do you know what I mean? It's so true. It's so true. It's um because I think 
you know, that the saying like this is the way we've always done it. And there seems to be a formula that works for a lot of big brands where the thinking and the creative comes from the creative agency and is then matched with the media agency. And it's 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 about being brave to understand that a good idea can come from anywhere and utilizing, you know, r- real in the moment cultural insights. And where does that come? Where where else does that come from other than social? You know, mm-hmm. that 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 insight from, you know, what people are sharing, what people are talking to you about, how people are talking about your brand. That, you know, I think brands that can tap into that and are brave enough to take that it's earned thinking into a paid space is where the magic starts to happen and, and content becomes more relevant, more interesting, way more relatable and therefore perform better. I think that is... Uh, yeah, it's just about switching up your old way of doing things and, and trying a new formula and understanding that social isn't just an advertising space. It's so much more than that. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's where the insights come from. And it is a sort of a mindset shift, but also like a habit shift that's needed. I think any social teams or professionals can empathize with having received a brief or a project or a campaign that's already living somewhere. Like the the answer's there, the insight's there, the line is there, but it just needs adapting. Um, yeah. And actually looking at adapting it in the reverse. I think, yeah, you could start to see some really relevant stuff. Like a lot of, I say this, spec savers out of home stuff feels really really social to me even though it's sitting out of home um and i think because it's relatable for like multiple audiences you know i definitely think we could be doing more and and, and the, you know everyone's open tap which is really good we're in a really good place at the minute with a marketing team and the agency where there's that appetite for it so um it, it, but it, it you know it took a while to prove it out and show that it, that it works i want to cycle back a bit to something you touched on earlier which was um, using social and like one of the key things I think this year or even since 2020 has been using social to communicate that purpose so what where brands roles are um, in society and where they fit but as you so rightly pointed out after the pandemic we're a little bit sick of those piano tracked emotive ads and comms that's given us a bit of ad fatigue so I want to know like what is the plan how are you guys actually approaching upping the purpose comms, educating people on the good that you're doing, but without losing that personality and without losing that comedic charm and without letting your adverts sort of take all the heavy lifting of the purpose work and, you know, like making your messaging all about that. Because I think some brands have been making that mistake. When it comes to purpose, we're still very much in the early stages of developing what it is we want to say, because you know, number one, there is so much we could say from, you know, saving someone's sight, which happens every day through to lobbying for um, access to eye health for everybody, you know. So it's working out really what what it is we want to say and what we need to be really careful of. And I think what all brands need to be really careful of is, you know, you need to put your money where your mouth is. You can't just say that we're going to do this or say that we're working on it. We need to prove it out as well. So yeah. we've got a really exciting project happening, which I can't go into at the moment. But what's happening is that that project is being developed um, and we're looking at sort of actual business change internally before it gets briefed to marketing to talk about it so that the authenticity is there, that we actually are making a change in that space. Once that's there and we're proving what we're doing, we'll then start talking about it. Um, so yeah, I think authenticity is number one and and everyone says that, but it's so true. You don't want to just do some sort of pop-up stunt and then say that we're this because people see through that. You know, you need to be 
really authentic, put your money yeah. where your mouth is as a brand and then start talking about it. And we're very much in the logistical phase of putting our money where our mouth is. No, definitely. I mean, it, it's a given, right? But I think what what I think like Gen Z in particular are very good at doing is regardless of whether or not you're telling people via your ads comms messaging what it is that you're doing like from a purposeful CSR perspective, they can Google it and they can find that out anyway. So where I take issue is we see so many brands, um, especially since 2020, trying to empathize with and reflect the current public mood. But when the current public mood is bad, imagine every ad on your TV or every ad on like your YouTube pre-roll or wherever you get them is we're here to help. We're doing this. We've done this. We've done this. It becomes so much more about what the brands say they're doing and so much less about here's something for you. It's going to make you laugh. We've made this for you. Isn't this funny? Isn't this entertaining? And you need that balance, right? Like that comedic relief. Absolutely. It's like, it's like that, it's value exchange, isn't it? And what what are you actually contributing to someone's experience on social media? And I think, um, you know, just following the crowd and saying, you know, we're here to help is, um, is, is so done. And yeah, you're, you're right. It's that balance. And that's why should have gone to Specsavers is, is not going anywhere for a long time because it does dovetail with everything else that we're doing and all the consideration content that we're doing. We have that light relief as well to balance it. It is a balance though, you know, because we are a healthcare brand and we need to be careful. So we we think about it um, a lot, you know, how we maintain that balance between, you know, the expertise and care messaging and then our um, should have gone to spec savers content as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you're right. Like a copy nerd again, but it's such a versatile line. You can use it for humor. You can use it for purpose comms. But like I get it all the time. You read a line and just think, I wish I wrote that one, but it'll happen one day. Um, <laughs> but I do, I want to talk a bit more about humor because I know like last time we were on a call, you were telling us about a study that you guys did with uh, Lad Bible or a Lad Bible survey. And you said you hadn't seen a huge shift in likability based on humor. Um, so where we actually might be, you know, saying instinctually, oh, Gen Z wants to be entertained, they want to be entertained. It's maybe not everything they're asking for. That's where that balance comes in. You need to, we can't just play and trade on humor. It's not enough. It's about adding depth to that. And, you know, for us, it's explaining why you should have, why you should have gone to Specsavers. Mm. That piece of information from Lad Bio was part of a bigger review of a partnership that we did, we did with them, but it did sort of spark something in me when I saw that, that result. And I thought, you know, that sort of fits really interestingly with, with another piece of research that we did with young audiences that, um, you know, that says that humor just isn't going to cut it on its own. So whilst it's important because humor means we can be human as a brand in our tone of voice when we're talking to customers online or, and when we're creating content, it, it can't be all that we do. Um, and that is where, you know, that whole consideration piece comes in again. You know, how are we holding people's attention for longer and telling them things that they didn't know, you know, and adding value to their to their experience on social. Yeah, no, definitely. I think Twitter um, did a study recently as well called Real Talk. They were analyzing brand behavior on the platform before Elon Musk bought it, I might add. Um, so you can <laughs> trust the research. <laughs> but they said that um, people that they surveyed on the platform also thought that a lot of brands there were leaning too heavily on humor and they were sort of becoming a bit of a one-trick pony. So yeah, it's definitely a consideration. But I also think sometimes, especially with first-party data like surveys that people don't 
always know what they want because they're like, yeah, I want a brand to care about what I care about. And then they see too much of that and they go, oh, just make me laugh. And then they see too much of that and they're like, oh, now you're being fickle. So I think they, yeah. they do set quite a hard precedent for us. I think it's maybe lo worth looking as well on like what they're actually engaging with and what's actually drawing them in. But their opinions, like, yeah, important as far as it, you know, can tell us what they care about. Yeah, and it is, it's exactly that. It's looking at things in play and seeing how it's landing and reading the room. But yeah, not just relying solely on on one tactic. I mean, humour and should have gone spec savers is just one tiny part of our strategy. It's just the one that gets a lot of talkability and sort of unites people in what they think about the brand. But it really isn't a huge part of what we do. That you know, it's just I'd say less than a quarter of our social strategy is that. I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, which is when you said that we can't see social success with a three second video ad, for example. And I know a lot of the like best practice recommendations, are, you know, create videos under 10 seconds and everything's moving towards the short form. But sometimes your average view rates are a lot higher than that. You know, we've seen them up to like 27 seconds. So with that sort of what what would you like to see change? Um, you know, is it how we look at best practice or um, yeah? Okay, this is where I get on my soapbox because I could literally talk for hours about this. But I think, first of all, the point to make is that there's horses for courses. So I think currently the buying model from, let's use Meta as an example, is sort of set up very much for bottom funnel conversion. So I'm going to use an example, waterproof jewellery, because I'm wearing some waterproof jewellery now. <laughs> um, you know, I see the name, I see, uh, and that's the awareness. I see it, um, a three-second ad of, the, of it sitting in a, in a cup of water and it says this will never fade. And then I might go on to purchase it. And I think in, in situations like that, that model works. But when you're a business that has multiple messages and a big job to do when it comes to changing people's perceptions, which a lot of brands who've been around for a while, you know, they, they have that issue. They, they have that challenge that they're looking to talk to new audiences, they need to change perceptions. Social media has notoriously been sort of flagged as not a great space for that, for, for changing perceptions, but I wholeheartedly disagree. So we've recently did a study with Lumen, who are attention scientists. Um, so we did that in collaboration with Tangerine, our social agency, and Lumen. And we found that, you know, attention is stretchy. So on our content, uh, we're seeing, like I said, we're seeing average viewing times of around 17 seconds. And that's because we come at our content from an earned approach. And we think about what is the value exchange, how are we adding value to this person's experience on social media. It's not a case of just hitting them with business brand messaging. It's coming at it from a cultural perspective. So we know by doing that, we can um, stretch attention. And when you stretch attention, you can land key messages within that then about your business, but you're doing it in a, in a different way. And what we also found, which I think is, is really exciting, is that actually when brands do that and then follow it with a conversion message, it makes conversion work a lot harder as well. So essentially it's a PR, it's the first time I guess that PR, it, we've shown how PR, because I call it PR because it is PR in social and we also looked at online PR as well, but online PR, social media, can prime advertising and make advertising work harder. But yeah, I mean, the issue is for us that when you place a three minute piece of content in with a ad that is um, five seconds long, the algorithm tends to prioritize the, the the shorter formats. And yeah, it's just, it's almost like two different worlds and two different ideologies in meeting. And, and that's something that, that we're looking at at the moment. It's hard, isn't it? Because even when platforms try and bring out 
new retail space or inventory that is a bit more long form it doesn't always work and it, like it just feels extremely short form first at the minute even though it has for some time but tiktok for example when they brought out the 10 minute long videos they've just very quietly taken that back because it clearly wasn't working so like i do understand it can be frustrating i mean 10 minutes is to, is long that was more of a sort of youtube play but 10 minutes is long hilton hotels did a really good 10 minute long advert though did you see it 10 yeah yeah I heard about this. It's not not doable, right? It depends what the content is, but I think that's it. It's, um, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And the buying models at the minute very much sort of go down that road of one size fits all, do this and you'll get this. And actually what we're seeing with the eye tracking devices is that, you know, attention on ads just isn't there and it's not as efficient as we first thought. Um, and that's something that we're working on. Yeah, I'd be excited to see what comes of that, actually. When when does it come out? We're just working on the final edits at the minute. So I'd say in the next couple of weeks, I think Orlando Wood was quite keen to talk about it at Cannes. Um, so should hopefully, if he, if he, if he's able to cover it there, talk about it there. So yeah, mm. in his, in his talk. Yeah, well, we've had Orlando Wood on Social Minds before and he remains one of my favourite guests. So that man is a wealth of knowledge. So anything he's been a part of, I think will yes. just be absolutely not missing out any detail. But are you able to share any key learnings that are, that are starting to come out of it? Those three points that attention can be stretched. It's not three seconds as, as originally thought. You can stretch it if you think about it differently. Uh, you can land your key business messages when you do that and actually that approach can actually prime advertising as well. Well, look out cans. No, amazing. I mean, that's all we have time for, but it's been really nice chatting and I really look forward to reading that report when it comes out, actually. I think there's a lot of people that will find that very interesting. Yeah, no, it is. And yeah, we'll share it. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Lisa. I know Specsavers is one of my favorite brands on social. And it's always interesting to hear the inner workings of the big players and what they're actually prioritizing. But we'll be back next week, Callum as well this time, for your social in six update. Until then. <laughs>